Good. Well, today we're going to have our second installment in what we had looked at as Heroes of the Faith. And uh, this morning I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm really hoping, are many of you do, you, do you enjoy reading biographies? Do you enjoy reading about other people? Are there any of those out here? A few of those? Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about things like, you know, uh, you know, Oprah or something like that. You know, I'm talking about actually, you know, people who've, you know, lived a whole life and you find, find out about their life and stuff. But, you know, I really enjoy this. And today we get to look at one of my all-time heroes in the faith, a guy named George Mueller. Um, I'm hoping that in this series, I'm hoping that one of the things that is beneficial for you, that as you look into the lives of these men and women, as you look into uh, how they lived and what they did, you learn some things about some tips about how to better trust God. You learn some tips about how to better walk with him from the heart. And so hopefully that'll be a, that'll be a helpful thing. How many of you have heard before of George Mueller? Many, many of you. All right. Good. A good number. Now, some of you, I mean, it's going to be brand new and I'm tickled spitless that you get to hear about him because honestly, uh, he's worthwhile. When you think of George Mueller, what is, what is something you think of? Prayer. Prayer. That's that's a big one. That's a huge one. I mean, honestly, as I was thinking about this morning, and I was this morning, I was uh, uh, getting up earlier and spending some time with God and thinking about some things. And one of the things I thought about was James five seventeen, where James reminds everybody. He's talking to people about praying, and in James five seventeen, one of the things he says, he says, "Now Elijah, who everybody looks at, and they go, boy, I mean, you know, people used they would talk about Elijah like we talk about George Mueller sometimes. You know, they're like, oh, Elijah." You know, and he says, Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed to God that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for two years and six months. And I think, boy, that's exactly right. You know, I mean, he was just like us. And as you hear about George Mueller this morning, one of the things I'm I'm really hoping is that you'll see this. George Mueller was a man exactly like you. No difference between, you know... uh, what he was able to do and what you're able to do, the difference was simply the way he trusted God and the way he walked with God. And so uh, I hope you'll be able to see some of that this morning. Now, we tend to associate prayer with him, and that was something he was really known for. But he was so much more, so much more. Let me tell you a few of things. One, he was a builder of schools, huge builder of schools, uh, Sunday schools, uh, day schools, adult schools, uh, different schools to help people learn about God. Um, he was a supporter of missions. He was a co-pastor of a church. In fact, he pastored this one church for like a total of like uh, close to 60 years. Um, he was a father figure to over 10,000 orphans, 10,000. But the thing that made Mueller so amazing was not so much what he did, but how he did it and why he did it. We'll talk about the why in a little bit. You know, how he did it was this. He chose to simply rely on God to supply all of his needs. He didn't tell anyone about his needs. You know, not that that that's not legitimate. You can do that. But he didn't tell anyone that. But what he did was he just had this conviction that I need to look to God alone to meet the needs of this. So all of the things that you'll see in his life, all the things that he carried out, he carried out telling no one but simply trusting God and listening, listening to him. Now, the corpus of ministry that God accomplished through him is rather amazing. I'd like to tell you a little bit about it. The schools that he founded, over 121,000 students went through those. The orphanages that he started, he served over 10,000 orphans, and over a third of those that they knew of made active commitments to Christ. 
The Scriptural Knowledge Institute that he founded um, distributed over 280,000 Bibles, over 1.5 million New Testaments, and over 110 million tracts. Several hundred missionaries received like hundreds of thousands of dollars in support that were overseas spreading the gospel around the world. And so Mueller, actually during Mueller's lifetime, simply in answer to prayer, God brought in over 1.5 million pounds, which he lived in England. That's why they went with pounds. But I mean, you know, 1.5 million. Now we look at that today and, and that's a little, I mean, living in Southern California today, we don't have really a reference point for some of that, especially back for when it was in the 1800s. Maybe something that would help you to get an idea of how staggering that was that God brought that in over that time. The average income of someone living in London uh, during that time was 40 pounds per year. Per year. And what God brought in in answer to Mueller's prayers was 1.5 million pounds. So, so how did Mueller become the George Mueller? That was like, you know, this uh, giant of his own generation. Well, you know, he, he wasn't always, he wasn't always that person at all. I can tell you that. Mueller was born in, in, in September of 1805 in Prussia, uh, which is, you know, area where we have Germany and stuff today. Uh, his family was not believers. Um, in fact, his father was a tax collector. Early on in his life, George began to develop patterns of stealing money that his father had collected and that was supposed to be turned in. He would steal different portions of money and then he would lie to cover it up all the time. And that just became more and more of his character and more and more of who he was. He was he was a, a thief and a liar and began to live life just really kind of, you know, um, totally out of what God would set up for him. At the age of 11, his father decided he was going to send him off to this kind of a preparatory pre-university uh, thing so that he could begin to study for the clergy. Not that his father had any interest in the things of God. He just thought maybe it'll provide a good living for him later on. So he sends George off to that. And, and you know, the problem was, you know, George continued right in his ways. In fact, they got worse. At the age of 14, his mother lay dying in a bed. And, you know, George was out with his friends, partying, playing cards, drinking, just running all over the place. And didn't even care. At the age of 16, his um, father has to come and bail him out. He'd gotten thrown into jail because he and some friends had checked into this hotel and run up this huge bill, and then they couldn't pay it. And so the owner of the hotel threw him, in, threw him into prison. And so his father let him spend a little time there. Then he comes and bails him out and beats the bejesus out of him and takes him home, you know. And he, uh, he pleads with his father and says, oh, one more chance to go to the university. You know, if you'll just give me one more chance. So his father says, well, okay. And George told him, I really intend to change. And he goes to the university. But in just a matter of days, he's right back in to the same lifestyle. And so he's back at the university. He even takes a trip with some friends of his to Switzerland um, and several several of his classmates. And they go and George volunteers to handle all the money for the trip. And in doing so, he ends up paying three-fourths of what everyone else pays for the trip because that's who he was. You know, he just found ways to cheat people. Then something very different happened. In November of 1825, he was 20 years old, and he was in his second year at the university. And a friend of his named Beta invited him to come over and go to a small group that he had uh, been a part of. And 
He'd been a part of it for a few weeks, and he'd been one of the guys that had accompanied him to Switzerland and stuff. So he invites Mueller. And Mueller was like, you know, well, I don't think I'm going to be welcome, but I'll, I'll go ahead and go. And so he goes and goes and goes over to this guy's house named uh, Mr. Wagner. And when they walk in, one of the first things they do, he has them sit down and they sing a song, kind of like we did a minute ago. You know, they sit down and sing a song. Mueller thought, oh, that's, that's different. You know, and then they open the Bible and they begin to read from the scriptures. That was one of the very first times Mueller had ever opened up the Bible for non-academic purposes. And he was like, wow. And he starts listening to these people and listening to what's being said. And then he, they decide they're going to pray. And so they start to pray. And it's the very first time he sees Mr. Wagner go down on his knees to pray. It's the first time he'd ever seen anyone kneel to pray. And he thought, that's really strange. In fact, he thought, you know, I know so much more than he does. I mean, I've been trained at the university. I know more. I mean, I know more about prayer, but he prays and I just say prayers. You know, there's something different. And so he began to notice that. And then they read a a scripted sermon that was there. And then they got up and they got ready to leave. And as they walked out the door, Mr. Uh, Wagner says to Mueller, he says, "Um, come as often as you please. Heart and home are always open to you. And Mueller said, I walked all the way back to campus running those things through my mind. You know, I couldn't believe the the welcoming atmosphere. And he tells his friend Beta, he says, everything that we have seen on our journey to Switzerland and all our former pleasures are of nothing in comparison to this. And he suddenly, God began to work in his life. And although he had made and broke resolutions over and over and over, God began to work in his life now, and and Mueller actually began to change. And over his next three years there at the university, that year and the following couple, Mueller would frequent Mr. Mueller's house for these, um, I mean, Mr. Uh, Wagner's house for these uh, meetings each week. He would go, he would go to those, he would join in part of the community, he would begin to get into the Word of God, and his life began to radically change. And Over the course of that time, he decided, you know, he really wanted to share all the things he'd been learning with other people. He wanted to let them in on it as well. So one of the very first people he decided to do that with was his father and brother. And he shared with them what was going on and and told them how how they could really begin to experience the life he was experiencing. And neither one of them wanted to hear it. You know, both of them were like, yeah, I don't hear that. In fact, his father got really mad and says, if you do not renounce this, then I'm cutting off all funds. And so now, George had to really make a choice. Uh, Was he going to um, continue walking with God and pursuing him and have no money from mom and dad? Or was, well, from dad, mom was gone. Was he going to do that? Or was he going to just step away from it? So Mueller decided, you know what? I'd go ahead and follow God. And he did. And his father pulled the money and Mueller took jobs tutoring and uh, doing other things to provide enough funds for him to be able to uh, to fund his education in his time there. There were also some other things that were very pivotal during that time. At one point, he got an opportunity to spend two months living in this orphanage that was uh, started by this German man named A.H. Franke. And Franke had started this wanting to depend solely on God to provide for the needs of this orphanage. And as Mueller spent those two months there, it left this indelible impression upon him that he could not quite get away from. 
So as he graduated, he graduated and he decided to offer himself up to the London Missionary Society. And he wanted to go there and began to share the gospel amongst the Jewish people. And so that was one of the things he he had on his heart and he began to move there. But as he got to London, uh, there were there were a, a variety of things. I won't go into all of them. You know, part of it was his health. He didn't uh, he didn't have his his health uh, as much as he should, and so he was. He'd gotten sick and uh, was was working through that. But also he began to look at the policies of the thing, and he thought, I don't think this is the best fit. And so as he was getting away, some friends of his encouraged him to go down to this uh, place called Tynemouth to kind of restore his health. And while he was there, they had asked him about helping pastor this church, and so he began to pastor this one church um, there within Tynemouth. And he also met this gal. Mary, Mary Groves, and um, later uh, ended up marrying her. And uh, a little while after that, a year or so after that, he and a friend named Henry Craig, they invited them to come to Bristol and to pastor this church. It had 18 people in it at the time called Bethesda Chapel or Bethesda Chapel. And so he, he comes and he begins to do that. Now, it was while he was there that he begins to look around and he begins to see these people and he thought, oh my gosh, you know, there's there's so much need for them to have a personal encounter with God. There's so much need for them to really get to know him. And so he, he was praying through that and thinking, you know, what do I need to do? And he remembered how much the word of God had impacted his life and Mr. Wagner's uh, home over those years. And so what he did, he started a, an organization called the Scriptural Knowledge Institute. And the goals were threefold at first. One, to begin and support day schools, Sunday schools, and adult schools to teach people the Word of God, to distribute the Scriptures, and to assist missionaries sharing the Gospel. So he starts that, God's providing for that, and about two years pass as he's pastoring this church and one of the things that becomes more and more clear to Mueller is the way people live their lives very very fearful he looked at them some of them were worried about you know what's going to happen when I grow older I mean I'm going to get older and I won't be able to work who's going to take care of me I I mean I'll just I, I, I won't have any means and I'll just I'll just die and then you know others were like you know well Jobs are really scarce, and I really need to keep my job. So, so many people would work this in exorbitant amount of hours, neglecting their family, neglecting God, neglecting everything because they lived in fear that if they lost their jobs, that would be the worst thing in the world that could ever happen to them. And so they were scared to death, and they, were, they, they, they lived like this. And Mueller began to look at this, and he longed for them to to not have that. He longed for them to, to trust God, to know him, to really take him at his word. So he, he began to think, what can I do? What can I do to help these people? There's, there's got to be something. And as he looked around, he prayed and he began to look around and orphans were all over England at that time. In fact, just a short train ride away, uh, there was a guy named Charles Dickens who wrote a book called Oliver Twist about the plight of orphans in England at the time. And Mueller looked at this. In all of England at that time, there were like 3,600 spaces for orphan children. Yet there were far, far more orphans than that. I mean, in fact, there were over twice that many under the age of eight that they put in workhouses and in prison 
to take care of them, if you, if you could call it taking care of them. And so Mueller looked at that, and, and he thought, wait a minute. And he had this idea, and he said this. It'll be up on the board. He said, now if I, a poor man, simply by prayer and faith, obtained without asking any individual the means for establishing and carrying on an orphan house, there would be something which, with the Lord's blessing, might be instrumental in strengthening the faith of the children of God, besides being a testimony to the consciences of the unconverted of the reality of the things of God. I want you to look at that for a minute. I want you to see why Mueller did what he did. See, Mueller looked at that, and his big why was, if I can live life in such a way that causes people to see God is fully reliable, he is fully trustworthy, then they can begin to trust him, and they can begin to really live a life that glorifies him as well. And so Mueller embarked upon that. He began to ask God, he said, God, do you want me to begin an orphanage? He didn't want to presume. See, a lot of people, they, they kind of design great things, and they say, hey, God, just kind of bless that. Mueller wasn't like that. He, he was very careful to check in and make sure exactly what God wanted. So he asked God, God, do you want me to start an orphanage? Is that what you want? And he prayed about that over and over. And then one day he's reading, and as he opens it up, this passage right here comes to mind. It was um, Psalm 81.10. And God said, open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. And Mueller, he took that as, boy, that is exactly what God wants me to do. He wants me to begin this orphanage. But then his question was, well, how am I going to do that? How in the world do you begin an orphanage? I mean, how do you start trying to figure out how to do that? And so as he began to pray and ask God about that, the verse that came to mind was Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And God says, worry about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes, whoa, I'm getting into a bad zone there. And the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Mueller began to pray. He prayed uh, that God would supply all of the needs that they had. He prayed for money. He prayed for a house. He prayed for helpers. He prayed for furniture. God supplied it all. Then Mueller wrote this in his journal. Let me read this to you. He says, Now all was ready for the orphans. And I fixed two hours when I would be in the vestry to receive applications for orphans. I sat there two hours. Not one came. So I left the vestry and walked home. And on the way home, I had brought to my mind this very verse. In everything. I said to myself, you've asked for money. You've obtained it. You've asked for helpers. You've obtained them. You've asked for a suitable house. You've obtained it. And while you were furnishing it, you asked God step by step about everything, and he would guide you and direct, and you never asked God for orphans. This was not willfully or intentionally left out. It just simply came about because my mind, I said to myself, there are tens of thousands of destitute orphans. There's no difficulty in getting them, and therefore, I never prayed about it. So I gave myself to prayer. The next morning at 11, the first orphan was applied for, before a month was over, 42 came, and since then, more than 12,000. A plain proof that there are plenty of orphans to be had. And I think, well, there you go. You know, that was one of the things with Mueller. He learned 
Pray about everything. Don't, don't just pray about the things you think you know about. You know, pray about everything. So he begins to pray, God, would you give me orphans? And, and God does. So what were the traits that characterized Mueller's life? Um, there are three, and I want us to look at this morning. There are probably more, but there's three that I would like to identify for us. One of the very first ones was this. A life of simple childlike dependence on God. A life of simple childlike dependence on God. Now, that is a word that I think oftentimes for many of us really chafes us. We think dependence. Well, I don't, I don't want to be dependent on anybody. I don't like dependence. In fact, what we really glory in as Westerners, and especially as Americans, is independence. You know, I mean, we have a day coming up this year where we celebrate that. You know, I mean, we're going to do that. Everybody's going to be, we're going to shoot off fireworks and say, that's right, we're independent. You know why? Well, because we really glory in that. But, you know what, the reality is this. Every one of us live life depending on something or someone. Every one of us. What you get a choice of is not are you going to be dependent. What you get a choice of is who are you going to be dependent upon. What Mueller chose was he was going to depend upon God. And so I'd like to tell you a couple of examples of that, um, that sh- a couple of stories that just show that in Mueller's life. One of them was in the orphanage. They had this one orphanage. They had moved. They'd been started off. They had started off. They had this orphanage on this one street. And finally, they took over several houses. And then the neighbors began to say, hey, 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 you know what? You're making too much noise. There's too many kids around here. And so they began to pray. God gave them some other huge places on Ashley Down, this great place. They built these five over time they built these five huge orphanages that housed like 10,000 orphans but when they had uh these orphanages one of them the boiler which was kind of the heating unit within uh the thing went out well it was actually it was running but it was really running kind of sketchy and so it was in november and mueller knew he said you know to know that there's something that could be wrong with that boiler and not to fix that is not and say something like, well, I'm just going to trust God. He said, that is not trust. That is not faith. That is presumption. We know there's something wrong. But at the same time, in order to repair or replace it, they looked at replacing, and that was going to take way too long, and they looked at repairing it. And to repair it, they were going to have to tear this brick wall down, go in, replace the boiler. They didn't have to turn the boiler off during that time. And the north winds had already begun to blow and it was really cold there in the orphanage. And he thought about all these young children and uh, up in, in the orphanage. And he didn't want them to suffer and be cold. So he thought, what do we do? So he prayed for two things. He said, now, now God, we need to do this. So I pray that you would cause the north wind to stop and that you would cause a south wind to begin to blow, that it would be warm. And I pray you would give the people a real mind to work, just as Nehemiah prayed when they were rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. He said, pray you would give these people a mind to work. And so in the process, the day before the workmen were to arrive, suddenly the south wind begins to blow, and they were able to turn the boilers all off, and they break into the thing and, you know, and he's thinking, well, I wonder how long it's going to take. And so they get it all fixed and then they have to put all the brickwork back up before they can turn it on. And the foreman shows up and says, okay, you know, the day's over. You know, you guys can, uh, you guys can go ahead and leave uh, and you can come back tomorrow and fix it. And the guys go, let us work through the night. And so he did. And 
God answered both of those prayers. They had a real mind to work. They got the boiler fixed. Everything went fine. You know, another instance of just his dependence upon God, when Pearson, one of the guys that wrote a biography about him, went to visit him, he comes to visit Mueller in his home. And, and it's later in Mueller's life. Mueller's in his, um, Mueller's in his uh, late 80s, early 90s right then. And he comes to him and he says, um, uh, you know, Mueller, uh, Mr. Mueller, I wanted to write about you. And so they're talking about different things. And as, as they're there, and he's, he's getting more information, the cook comes in, says, uh, Mr. Mueller, there's no food for the orphans tomorrow, like in none. And so, you know, Mueller says, oh, and Pearson's like, oh, my gosh. The one night I show up, everything falls apart. Here it is. You know, I'm, I'm going to be writing about the downfall, the rise and fall of George Mueller. And so he's, he's all like, oh, what is going to happen here? And so he looks over at Mueller, and Mueller's just listening. And then he says, okay, thank you. And then Mueller looks at him and says, uh, would you join me in prayer? And he said, okay. And so Mueller prays, and he says, now, Father, you've promised to be a father to the fatherless. We trust you. Amen. Gets up and Pearson goes, Mr. Mueller, should we do something? And he said, we just did. And he goes up to bed. And and Pearson said, I don't know how he slept. I didn't sleep all night. He said, I'm wondering what in the world? What are we going to do? What are the orphans going to do? He said, what I didn't know was he was right. He had just done something. Because across town, this grocer wakes up in the middle of the night with this thought, George Mueller's orphans need food. And he thought, you know, that's true. I haven't taken them stuff in a while. I think tomorrow I'm going to take them some food. And he rolls over and goes back to sleep. And about an hour later, he wakes up with this thought, George Mueller's orphans need food. He thought, okay, God, that must be from you. I'm going to take them food tomorrow. Don't worry about that. And he rolls back over. About 30 minutes later, he wakes up with this thought, George Mueller's orphans need food now. And so he thought, oh, okay. So he gets up and he loads up this wagon with all of this food, wagons with all this food, and takes it across and puts it all there. And when they wake up in the morning, all the food that they needed was right there. But just a life of simple childlike dependence was one of the things of Mueller. A second thing, he prayed and anticipated answers. You know, um, one, he ran across Luke 10 too, where uh, Jesus said, you know, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out labors into the harvest field. So Mueller began to do that. And out of their church, they sent out over 60 full-time missionaries out of their church. You know, another example, they were, Mueller in uh, his 70s was going to Canada, which, you know, uh, to visit the three people that live there. And uh, he was going there and as he was going across, he, he had caught this uh, ship and was going in, and, and it was like a Wednesday. And he, he goes up and he tells the captain, he notices they're not going very fast, and he tells the captain, he says, we need to get to Quebec. I have, uh, I have a speaking engagement. I've never missed a speaking engagement in 57 years, so, I mean, I've, I've got to be there. And he says, well, <laughs> Mr. Mueller, I can appreciate that, but uh, do, do, you, do you understand there's nothing I can do? And Mueller says, well, if you can't do anything, I'm sure God will provide some other way. So um, why don't you join me and let's pray? And he's, he's thinking Mueller's nuts. And he says, uh, uh, do you see the density of the fog 
that's out there. And he says, my eye is not on the density of the fog. My eye is on the God who I've known and walked with for years. So let's pray. So Mueller just kneels right there and begins to pray. And he says, now, God, I think if you have this for me to speak here, and I think you do, that you, I pray you would clear the fog in five minutes, that you would have it all gone so we can get underway. And then the ship captain, not knowing quite what to do, he starts to pray, and Mueller puts his hand on him and says, don't pray. And he says, what? And he goes, in the first place, you don't believe it'll do it. In the second place, I believe he already has. So don't pray. Get up and let's go, because I think God has cleared this up. And they open up the doors, and they look out, and all the fog's gone. And the, the guy's like, huh. The guy later on wrote about that, said, you know, I was forever changed. He said, I used to be kind of an ordinary Christian. Then I decided, you really ought to expect God to do things when you pray. You know, he said, suddenly I became a, a, a Christian like Mueller. You know, so that was another one of the things Mueller, uh, the last one, you know, for Mueller was, you know, he, uh, as far as just expecting, in November of 1844, Mueller wrote, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, or whatever the pressures of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and began to pray for the others. Five years elapsed and the second one was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them. Six years passed and the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and prayed on for the other two. The two remained unconverted. Thirty-six years later, the other two men, sons of one of Mueller's friends, were still unconverted. And Mueller wrote, But I hope in God, I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. In 1897, 52 years after he began to pray for them, the other two came to Christ. Mueller was just like, pray and expect God to answer. And that's what he did. And the third and the last thing about Mueller, he listened to God. The Bible really held preeminence for him. He really felt like if you wanted to listen to God, one of the things you had to do was to get into God's word and begin to give God a voice in your life, begin to allow him to speak to you through what he's shown us in his word. So he got into the word. He read it over a hundred times through the Bible in his life, over a hundred times. And he would always read and meditate on it every single day as he would, he would go through. In addition to that, what he did was he lived it out. In fact, let me give you a quick thing he says. This is what he says about a typical day of how to get things, uh, how to get things done. The first three years after conversion, I neglected the word of God. Since I began to search it diligently, the blessing has been wonderful. I have read the Bible through 100 times and always with increasing delight. I look upon it as a lost day when I've not had a good time over the word of God. Friends often say, I have so much to do, so many people to see. I cannot find time for scripture study. Perhaps there are not more. Now, here's, I want you to listen to this. This is very important. Perhaps there are not many who have more to do than I. For more than half a century, I've never known more than one day that I did not have more business than I could get through. For 40 years, I have had annually about 30,000 letters, and most of those pass through my own hands. 
I have nine assistants always working corresponding in German, French, English, Danish, Italian, Russian, and other languages. Then, as pastor of a church of 1,200 believers, there has been my care, great has been my care. Besides, I have had the charge of five immense orphanages. Also, at my publishing depot, and printing, the printing and circulating of millions of tracts, books, and Bibles. But I have always made it a rule never to begin work until I have had a good season with God. The vigor of our spiritual life will always be in exact proportion to the place held by the word in our life and thoughts. Mueller was quite a man. I mean, you began to look at him. At the age of 70, he decides, um, you know what, he, he, he's now reached 70, so he, he thinks, I've always wanted to do some missionary work. So he takes the orphanages and the Scriptural Knowledge Institute and leaves them under the care of his son-in-law who was working with him. And he takes off to begin to encourage people around the world and began to continue to share the gospel around the world. For 17 years, he traveled to 42 countries, speaking an average of once a day, addressing over 3 million people in the process. Then at the age of 87, he comes back, continues to pastor the church, continues to lead the orphanages, continues to um, run the Scriptural Knowledge Institute. And one, he, he leads a Bible study at their church one Wednesday night, comes back, and the next morning someone's taking him up some tea, and they knock on his door and find out he's passed away in the night, 92 years old. So as you look at the life of Mueller, what can we learn from Mueller to better trust God, and what would be some next steps for you? I'd like us to look at that for a minute. Let me suggest three. One, begin a relationship of simple trust with God. Now, for some, that may be beginning a relationship. Maybe you've never started one. But for others, beginning a relationship of simple trust. Like, where's the rub for you right now? What is the thing you fear? What, what are you fearful about right now? What are you worried about? What do you think? Oh, you know, your heart's really anxious. You know, trust him. Trust him. Begin to turn things over to him. In fact, let me, look, oh, I didn't do this. Let me welcome the band back up. They can come back up while we're finishing this up. Um, begin a relationship of simple trust. Secondly, maybe for you, it's expect God to act as you pray. Pray and actually expect God to act. So often I see people pray and they kind of go through it in a perfunctory kind of way, kind of like, well, we ought to pray. So they pray, but they don't really expect God to do anything. I know I've done that. I've prayed sometimes, you know, and, you know, I'd be really surprised when God did something. I'd go, oh, I wonder how that happened. Well, you prayed, uh, you know, so, I mean, Begin to pray. Trust God in that thing. And lastly, maybe what you need to do is to learn to just listen more to God, to grow in how to read and meditate on his word. If you look in your program there, there's a little uh, insert that we put there about how to keep your soul happy in the Lord. And what that really talks about is how do you begin to get into the word of God in such a way that it really nourishes your soul and really helps you to not only know him and love him, but really walk with him from the heart. So let me pray for us. And um, I would encourage you to take that with you. I'd encourage you to look that over and begin to put that into practice in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a life of George Mueller. 
Thank you that we can see clearly with him that, um, boy, it's not that he was a, a, an extraordinary man. He was just an ordinary man that uh, had, had extraordinary uh, trust in you. So help us to nurture that same kind of trust, to, uh, to venture out and, um, Father, to look at what your word says and to really place our full confidence and reliance on that. Help us to begin to live that out in a practical way every day so that others can be blessed and so that you can really be honored. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.